Greetings and welcome to Birkegaard, the writings of Soren Kierkegaard. Let's say it's January 11th. I'm back from Florida. So we were in Tampa. Uh, first uh, first three days of the place called Ebor City, which is, uh, I think it's the old part of Tampa. It's got a lot of history there. Uh, so it's an Ebor, Ebor, Y-B-O-R. It's really great. If you uh, live anywhere close to Tampa, or even if you don't, I would... Highly recommend paying a visit down to uh, <clears throat> Ebor City, part of Tampa. Great food, great craft beer. Uh, man, one of the epicenters uh, for cigars in the world. There was a lot of cigar companies that were traditionally uh, in uh, in Tampa, manufactured uh, cigars. And uh, so I had a few, of course. Um, what else? The food was tremendous. Yeah, very Spanish-influenced, Cuban uh, so then we went down to, uh, I went down to, uh, my mom's boyfriend's place in Punta Gorda. It's not Punta, it's Punta, I guess, uh, Punta Gorda. And we had my mom's 85th birthday party, uh, at my mom's, uh, boyfriend's house and he, uh, lives on the canal down there and we couldn't take the boat out. There's something with the tides right now that keeps the uh, boats, uh, from going out onto the, uh, out through the canals into the uh, into the bay and then into the Gulf of Mexico, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but we had a great time. It was really fun. Got to talk to my aunt, son, my mom's sister, and she's always uh, a great person to talk to. I have a lot of admiration for her. She's a kindergarten teacher. And anybody who thinks that when you work in kindergarten, it's all, all milk and cookies. You don't know anything about education. <laughs> it takes a lot of talent to work with those kids and see that emerging uh, identity of kids coming out and how important those years are for children to feel loved and cared for and held accountable and disciplined. And, uh, man, she's just a skilled person working with kids. And uh, she has an old-school husband who's a really good guy, and uh, he likes to smoke cigars, so he gave me a few of his to smoke. So I'm not going to smoke that many cigars here in Pennsylvania uh, as a rule, but since it was kind of vacation, uh, it took my uh, took my liberties a bit. Uh, had some fun with the uh, with the craft beer. Uh, a lot of great craft breweries down in uh, Tampa, including a place called Cigar City, which is the nickname for Tampa itself. It's called the Cigar City, uh, kind of like the Philadelphia is called the City of Brotherly Love or whatever the Big Apple and things like that. Uh, so then uh, my brother and I came back to Tampa. This time the hotel was closer to the airport, which was really nice, only five minutes away. And uh, we hung out, and this is uh, the beginning of the story, you know, on this podcast. I always say you never know about tomorrow, <laughs> and it happened to me, folks. This is, I, I, don't, I don't talk in a way that uh, I'm just talking into the air. I try, to, I try to remind myself, and as a result, talk about it here, that nothing is guaranteed in life. And my brother and I, um, what was it on, uh, man, it was Tuesday. You know, we had some, we had some time uh, before we wanted to head out to a restaurant, uh, to uh, get those e-bikes. It's called Lime. The company's called Lime. So they put these bikes all over cities. And I've never done it before, so this was new to me. Uh, and you have to do it with your credit card, and they charge have these charging stations, and uh, you can drop the bike off at a different place than where you picked it up at, which was kind of interesting because my bike said it had, uh, ah, man, maybe like 16 miles on it because I think I'm so big, 270, you know, two, no, I'm not 270 anymore. Wait a minute. 250 or 260 somewhere around there uh i put on some weight when i was not in florida of course 
I think I put more stress on the battery because it tells you ahead of time how many miles you have on the bike, but I think it's assuming the person's like 175 pounds or something. Well, not 250. And uh, so my bike started dying, uh, started dying along the way, and it was more of me pushing the bike than the bike kind of carrying me with those e-bikes. They're interesting. You get some exercise, but it's uh, it's not as rigorous as a regular bike, of course. That's what the point of it is. And uh, so my bike started dying, and, you know, we had to go find another place. But it, we, we'd only done about 10 miles, so it was six miles less than what the uh, what the uh, app said that we had on it. And, again, I think it's just because I'm so, so big. The bike was like, I, I didn't bargain for this, man. Uh so we got new bikes or, you know, bikes that had more juice on them. And uh, we're at this uh, really big intersection. Florida's got these uh, intersecting, like, highways. It's very linear in a lot of ways. But, you know, there was three lanes in each way, so a total of six lanes. And I don't remember what the cross lane was, maybe two lanes apiece or something. And you have to wait for the signal to come that you can walk across or ride across, as the case may be in our case. And on these big highways, it takes a while. And so we had to go. You know, we had the white man. Uh, so I started going across the uh, the intersection. I got halfway through and I stopped. My brother was behind me, which was weird. He wasn't he wasn't keeping up with me or in front of me, which was typically how we were riding because my brother had the uh, had the map on his phone and they had this like strap thing that you put on your phone into right right with the bike and uh so he was behind me which was odd to start with but anyway he was and he was lagging a bit which did make sense because i was the one that had <laughs> ride my bike he his his bike had more juice in it um so i stopped halfway through and boy it was good that i did uh there were three lanes that I had not crossed yet and we still had to go on on the on the light like we still had the uh the, the walking thing uh it was soon to, soon to turn over to that time which says you like have 30 seconds or whatever but uh I stopped because I wanted to wait for my brother to catch up um I had no other reason to stop because I wasn't I wasn't terribly tired because we had new bikes at that point I wasn't I wasn't exhausted from dragging the other thing around so I stopped some, for some reason. There were three lanes that I still needed to cross. There was uh, two cars uh, and a lane in between that was empty. And the cars were stopped. Well, this SUV just went blown right through a red. Right through a red. Never saw him coming. I wouldn't have seen him coming. If I had been out in the lane, I would have been picked off like a bowling pin. Uh, 50 miles an hour with an SUV. I had been a dead man. I didn't have a helmet on. I had my Carhartt hat on. And I wouldn't have seen him coming because the other cars were stopped. It was the lane in the middle that was open, and the two on the sides were full. And this person just went right through the light, full speed ahead, no care in the world, probably chatting away on their phone. And uh, my life would have been changed. My life would have been ended. There's very, very unlikely I would have survived that hit. And I was about 15, 20 feet away. This is a close call. This is as close as I've ever been to being killed. <laughs> and I just thought, that's what Soren says, temporality, man. Don't put your hope in something that can be so easily taken away. You can enjoy life. Life is like a wave. Sometimes you ride it. Sometimes it crushes you. Sometimes you swim under it. Sometimes you're just enjoying yourself without there floating around. But other times, man, ugh, you know, you, you go and get slammed. Go and get body slammed. Uh, and... Uh, I'm sure the person meant no malice. 
I'm sure they weren't intending to kill somebody that day. And I'm not even sure they were aware they went through a red light. I, you know, we drive these automobiles like we're driving little toy trucks or something. Like we're just playing around on the dining room floor or the living room floor. Like somehow there's not lives at stake. So be careful. If any of you people out there listen to this podcast ever text when you drive, besides the smart stuff, like I have a, a 2022 Honda CRV, all that technology is integrated. And it's probably still not real great to, like, you can do an audio text and it can send it. I mean, it's better than obviously having stuff in your hands, but you need to keep your eyes on the road and you, save your text to later. You know, save save that stuff to later. And uh, that would have changed that person's life. It would certainly changed mine. My brother would have seen me got, get hit. He would have been hit too if he had been up there. There was no reason for us not to be booking across that intersection because once that light changes, you're done. You're going to be there for five minutes. And uh, he would have seen me get hit. And he could have been hit himself if he had been up with me. I wasn't tired because my electric bike was fully juiced. It's uh, once you once you start pedaling, that thing goes, and the only thing that stops it is the brake. And that person's life would have been changed. They may have been having a, an important conversation with somebody, or they might have just been chat with a friend, or they may have been looking at something else, uh, fiddling around with something else on their phone. I don't know, uh, but uh, I don't I don't take it that that person would have life wouldn't have been changed. If I killed somebody and I was doing something I shouldn't have done it, you know, when you're driving, you're responsible to obey the red lights, right? The, society breaks down if people blow off red lights. That's just not safe. Um, that's, that's a requirement of driving, and there's really no excuse for it. That's pretty simple. Just keep your eyes on the road. And this person wasn't doing that. And um, they would have had to live in their conscience with the fact they killed somebody. Uh, and uh, that conversation would not have been worth it. <laughs> I guarantee it. Hey, just as a reminder, I'm on Instagram under Birkegaard. I'm also on Twitter, uh, formerly known as Twitter. Reminds me of what, formerly known as Prince or whatever. Uh, X, X marks the spot. I heard Elon uh, ban some people from Twitter, which is against his stated ethos of creating a forum. Free speech doesn't mean people are right when they talk. It means that you create a, a forum for people to dispute uh, facts that are not, things presented as facts that are not factual. Uh, but there's there's a limit to it. You can't shout fire in a fire in a fire in a theater, as they used to say. You have limits on free speech. But in general, it's good to have free speech because um, it allows the uh, contestation of facts or purported facts and. Um, you have to do that in a society. You have to have the ability to state your mind, but you have to do it with a heart to pursue truth, and then people have a right to respond to that. I I, um, I like to uh, debate people, obviously. I wouldn't do this if I didn't like to talk. And uh, But, man, sometimes online, like I said before, people are really rude. And if anybody's abusive right off the bat, using words like idiot, clown, obviously uneducated, stupid, anything that's along those lines, those demeaning words, I, I just block them. That's not a person worth having a conversation with. Uh, I, I don't like being abused. I don't think many people do, but it's amazing how many people engage in that kind of behavior back and forth. And um, they just don't have the right to talk to me. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I have rights as a citizen and a human being not to be abused. And if you insist on abusing me, and you don't even know me, people uh, accuse me of 
not being educated. I'm like, yeah, that that's really factual. Hmm, that makes a lot of sense. I have a PhD. I have a master's degree. I have a bachelor's. How about you? Hmm? One time I was going back and forth with this guy that said, I bet your boss is really happy that you're going back and forth with me while you're working today. And I said, well, you know what? I'm independently wealthy. Huh. Uh, I have all the time in the world, so keep keep it coming, buddy. It's just funny what people will assume. They assume they know me. I, I try to avoid assuming I know people. It reminded me, I was watching a Robin Williams, um, a documentary about Robin Williams, and it, it got into the end of his life where he had this, like, uh, Lewis body dementia, I think it was called. But it's a de degenerative neurological condition where the synapses in the brain and all that stuff just start fraying and start falling apart. And it was being misdiagnosed. And he went to a lot of specialists. And he was in a, a part of the world in California where they have really good medical care. So it was very frustrating that Robin Williams knew something was wrong with his brain. And it was being attributed to depression or his former drug abuse and cocaine and all that kind of stuff. So they kept getting wrong diagnoses. And he was married at the time. And his wife was experiencing that erratic behavior, his lack of memory and uh, things like that. And there was a lot of... Um, churn in the press about how Robin Williams was, uh, you know, it didn't attribute whatever was going on to him about something like neurological condition because people didn't know, but people assumed the worst that it was because of something else like depression or his drug abuse that caused its condition. It may have played a role, uh, but there was a lot of, uh, when he hung himself, it was like, oh, you know, he's kind of being selfish or this and that or whatever and now the fact is is he his mind was degrading it's like this these people that play too much football and have all this all these concussions cte uh, it's kind of post-concussion syndrome or cte i don't remember what it stands for exactly but it's traumatic brain injury so he had this neurological condition that nobody could find out about nobody was discovering nobody was giving him answers and a lot of times we're going through a medical condition one of the things that helps is getting a diagnosis that's accurate because at least you know what you're fighting, you know what you're dealing with. You want to create fear in people is give them an enemy. They don't know what it is or who it is. And that could be true about an assailant that's waiting in a dark alley or somebody who's harassing us online that we don't know who they are or making threats towards our family or a medical condition or anything else or somebody taking money from your account that you don't know how they got, got your passwords. Um, so there was a lot of unknowns, but people were assuming the worst that somehow you know, Robin Williams was just uh, at the end of his run and he, uh, he hung himself because he was a sad little man and all that kind of stuff. The, the, the clown that had tears <clears throat> and experienced the consequences of his behavior. And it's just a reminder, when I watched this documentary, I saw how hard it was for him and to a degree they portrayed it and for his wife to deal with something that was unknown. And when they had a diagnosis after he died, I guess they did an autopsy, they figured out what the deal was. And it, it may be much more empathetic for people that struggle because he didn't know what was going on. And people were saying it was kind of a, you know, he's just lacked the will to live or he was being selfish because he committed suicide. I, I don't approve of suicide, and I, but I understand the situation that he was going through. He was dealing with a monster that they didn't have a name for. And it was very frustrating. And he thought he was going crazy, and he wasn't. He wasn't going crazy in a psychiatric sense. He was going, he was losing mental and uh, mental awareness because his brain was degraded. And it, there was something that he wrote. He uh, did a lot of work with um, over, overseas with uh, military people. He was very compassionate, very kind, 
And he wrote something in his diary or in his journal. He said, I want to help people be less afraid. This is July 31st, 2012. And he, uh, he brought a lot of joy into the world, but it made me much more empathetic towards his story, re uh, watching this documentary on Prime, Amazon Prime. And it just reminded me to be very careful about judging people. We don't know what people have gone through. We don't know the first thing about them, either online or in person. And we have to be really, really careful about um, assigning something to someone that's unfair, uh, unjust, inaccurate, especially of a negative nature. If you're going to talk about somebody, I always said this at school and told this to kids and just had it as a general ethos. If I'm ever going to talk about somebody behind their back, I am going to try to be positive about what I'm saying. Because then it gets back to the person, oh, Bicker's saying good things about you. He has a lot of admiration for you. He has a lot of respect for you. And uh, I, just a good reminder. Just a good reminder. And I have to be careful about judging this person that blew off the red light because I, too, have done that before. I haven't done it recently, but back in, uh, back in college when I was painting for a living, uh, I'd spent all day painting a, a really long porch at the school. This uh, porch surrounded this very old building. And my boss wanted me to um, not roll the, the porch. It was a wooden porch. He wanted me to use porch paint but to paint it by hand so it really got in the nooks and crannies of the wood. And all day I'm just breathing in this uh, this vapor, of this oil-based paint. And I was like 20, 22 years old. And, uh, man, I was high as a kite after uh, painting all day. It wasn't healthy. And a mask might have helped a little bit, this in, in 85s or whatever it's called. But basically I'm getting high uh, breathing this uh, this paint and this porch paint, which is especially nasty. And, I, man, I came home, and I was driving down Route 30, coming back home. I just went right through a red light, right through it. So this driver I have to be empathetic with to the degree I can be, even though the person almost killed me, uh, to realize everybody has a story. They may have been having a really, really bad day that day. I don't know. You know, maybe something happened to their mom or their grandmother. Their children, child was sick. Or maybe they're just acting like a dingling. I have no idea. But, uh. Assign the best motive to people, even when bad things happen. Assume the best of people, not the worst. And that kind of ties into the bitterness idea from last week, to, to watch out for that bitter root, uh, because that colors everything. That bitterness that we have about those situations where we felt like maybe justice wasn't done, that we experienced some persecution or some unfairness, if we uh, if we hold on to that, that's not going to just be that situation. It's gonna it's gonna it's gonna uh, flavor the drink. Uh, our life's drink is now going to be bitter, and then it'll affect our ability and our um, our fairness towards other people because we'll put a negative spin on almost everything and everyone. And I've been con I've been kind of dealing with that recently. I um, there was a lot of my life that I wasn't really in control of stuff. I was just struggling to survive and keep my head above water. But as I got older, I figured some things out. And now at the age of 60, I'm not at my peak powers, but I have a lot more wisdom now, obviously, than I did when I was younger. And so it's easy for me to look at younger people or other people with an eye askew a bit and say, oh, why do they do it that way? What's going on with that person? Why do they Why do they act like an idiot? And I try to avoid using terms that label people, but I do use the word act a lot. I learned working with delinquents, you don't call them a... An idiot, you say, why are you acting like an idiot? Acting gives them an opportunity to uh, change their behavior. You know, nobody wants to act like an idiot. Why are you acting like one? Change your behavior and not be acting like an idiot. 
But I also fall into dropping the act out in my mind and word and deed. And sometimes I uh, just call people certain things in my head or out loud. And uh, <coughs> God has put me on, on notice that I can't do that. And I, uh, a buddy of mine posted uh, on, on Facebook. Uh, he's a follower. Eh, again, I don't like that word. He's a friend on Facebook, but it follows the podcast, I guess. He said, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamber, clamor, clamber, like clams, muscles. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander uh, be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ, God in Christ uh, forgave you. So that's a recipe uh, sometimes in the world's eyes to get, to get, treated like a, like a welcome mat people just go and wipe their feet on us uh, but we have to remember that we're forgiven in Christ and we have a responsibility to extend that grace to others I mean we could be wise Jesus wasn't a sucker he wasn't crucified by mistake or didn't see it coming he knew it was in the heart of man uh, so we have to be realistic about human nature, but we also have to want what's best for people and we can't let that bitterness take over because that can pass as something else that's more proved generally like, Oh, I'm just, I'm just wise about people and I'm no sucker and mama didn't raise no fool and I'm a child of the streets and I can hold my hands. <clears throat> so it's easy to, uh, portray uh, that lack of kindness as a more positive attribute. And uh, we have to be really, really careful about that. Jesus says every word we speak, we will be held into account. And that scares me because uh, I know that I am guilty, not just in the past, not in some distant past, but presently of that behavior. And I'm aware of it, and I've kind of connected my experiences to feeling shafted by people to that bitterness which now affects my assessment of other people it's the lens in which i see people sometimes and i tend to assign negative motives to things where i don't have all the facts and i have to be careful about doing that so again i want to be real here and not play myself as some spiritual guru um i don't think that's right i think there's there's a balance that you, we have to be real, we have to be authentic, uh, but we also have to, um, and that's going to have good attributes, of course, hopefully I'm not a complete schmuck, or acting like a schmuck or whatever, uh, but uh, that there's going to be a downside too, and I, I was always encouraged when somebody in authority was able to be human about things, it made the struggle more real, and it made me believe that, oh, God's not done with me yet, if this person struggles with something, then I... It's okay for me to not have it all figured out. But, um, yeah, one of, the, one of the dangers of getting old is forgetting how hard it is to be a child and a teenager. It's just too easy to do that. We, uh, we tend to close the door on those experiences. At least we think we do. We really don't. They're always with us, but it's like rings of a tree. But uh, we tend to become very judgmental as we get older. If we're, not, if we're not compassionate, even after we become Christians, we tend to think we're now the, the righteous. <laughs> Like the Pharisees, I'm the righteous one. Yeah, whatever. No, it's God's righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness in us. Even if the task was lowly, uh, to will it, to fulfill it with God makes the purpose greater than anything that arose in the natural man's heart. So this is the upbuilding discourse on page 192. Uh, 
We're, uh, we're making progress here. I know you have to be patient with this podcast because I don't take the easy way out with, with this to preserve one's soul and patience. So anyway, I was almost killed by a car. Uh, I'm not overstating it. It was close. <laughs> it was close. And uh, you never know. You never know the day or the time, even if the task was lowly to will to fulfill it with God makes the purpose greater than anything that arose in the natural man's heart. It is not dis, uh, it is not disinterest or distrust of life that patient teaches not in distrust that it discovers that the person never attains its goal and as much as it always attains its goal because the goal is God. And every interaction that we have, this this is kind of what C.S. Lewis was talking about, that we're, we're running into immortal, eternal beings every time we step out the door or with our family or with our friends, either online or in person, is these are eternal, immortal beings that will either be with God or be without God in eternity. And it should make us very serious. I'm not talking about taciturn or things like that, but it should make us serious uh, in our interactions with people to realize that we're either helping them on their way to a positive eternity or eating an eternity away from God. And the scriptures portray that as a terrible place to be. Um, and I think one of the mistakes like educators make is uh, we want to be liked by kids. We want to be funny. Uh, and there's a place and a time for that. It's like hot sauce. You don't want too much hot sauce in your food, but you want some if you like spice. So a little bit of silliness goes a long way, uh, but you got to be serious. Like the seriousness of that of that child's life. They may not take their life seriously, but we better. <laughs> That's not up for us to, to negotiate saying, well, that kid doesn't take their life seriously. They're partying like there's no tomorrow. Uh, if they are doing that, we can mourn for them. We can feel sad for them that they're, they're risking their life and they're furthering away their precious time. Even if the task was lowly to will to fulfill it with God makes uh, the purpose greater than anything that arose in the natural man's heart. It is not distrust of light that patience teaches, not in distrust that it discovers that the purpose never attains its goal, and as much as always attains its goal, because the goal is God. And always remember that's what we're working towards. In this sense, patience teaches trust in life, and probably its purpose uh, to, is poor in attire. So a lot of these interactions that we have look poor in attire. They don't look important, but they certainly are. But inwardly... It is, uh, it is, uh, I'm trying to see this here. <laughs> it's good. You, it is glorious, faithful, and unswerving at all times. Uh, so every interaction we have, we're either helping people or hurting people on their, on their walk to eternity. So it was then uh, that the young person went out into life, fortunate uh, the young person who did that. He went with the help of patience, not rich in wishes, not intoxicated with uh, purpose, but in faith's covenant with the eternal, in hope's covenant with the future, in love's covenant with God and human beings. And patience blessed the covenant and promised not to forsake him, even though he lost his wish and the youthful purpose, he would still not lose his soul." Uh, purpose is okay. Uh, Rick Warren wrote that uh, book, The Purpose Driven Life. But it's purpose in what? Like, what's, what's your what? Or more importantly, what's the who? Or who's the who? Uh, God, right? Uh, so that's a purpose that has faith in it. 
If a person does not believe, only aspire to the eternal, is not hopefully tranquil about the future, so that's just a repeat of last week, is not lovingly in peace and unity with God and human beings, then he has lost his soul. Uh, is lovingly, is not lovingly in peace and unity with God and human beings. So these are the two great commandments, uh, love God and love people. And somebody posted online in a response to something I had posted that dogma and doctrine have hurt a lot of people because people have placed too much emphasis on dogma and doctrine. And I think there's a difference. I think dogma tends to be man-made rules based on, on, on doctrine. I think doctrine is clearer in Scripture, but not 100%. There's things that are debatable, like free will versus predestination or baptism or the Lord's Supper, is he really present in the in the wine and in the in the in the elements in the food or the bread, or is he there symbolically? These are things that create, created a great division uh, in the church uh, over the centuries, and uh, so there's a place for doctrine, uh, dogma. Uh, what what the Catholics do, they start going beyond the scriptures, uh, where like the, this is a good example, the priests have to be celibate. No, they don't. <laughs> The Bible has pastors with wives, uh, that's and children. Uh, so the Catholics institute something which might be a good idea in some situations to have your pastors and your priests be celibate and single, but it's not a it's not a it's not a condition. It's not a requirement. Uh, so we don't want to make our dogma and our doctrine uh, more important than loving God and loving people. But there is a place for doctrine, don't get me wrong. And that's that remaining 5%. So I said the problem is is when we make that 5% of disputation, that doctrinal disputation, which we can have in good faith, make that the 95% and then take the love of God and love of people, make that the 5%. See, that's where you have the wrong side of the uh, of the telescope there, looking through the wrong end. Uh, then he lost his soul. However lowly he is, uh, however small in stature, however poor in talents, whatever his soul is more specifically in itself and its difference from everybody else's, his soul nevertheless is preserved in whatever he lost and whatever, whatever he was denied. So loving God and loving people, that's what keeps the soul alive. And it sounds so simplistic. And uh, being patient with people is part of that love. It's one of the gifts of the Spirit. I'm trying to avoid blowing my nose during this um, podcast and also coughing or clearing my throat too much. So I'm making an effort. My apologies. That's not 100% here. But I, I tried to think about how that would make me feel if somebody was doing that on the other side and I was listening to them. I would be probably a little bit <clears throat> nonplussed by it. <clears throat> Nonetheless. I promise to keep it real here, folks. In deliberation, he understood this wish uh, with the help of patience, and without patience, he would not have understood it. To preserve one's soul in patience, that is to keep the soul bound together in patience so it does not go outside this and thereby, thereby become lost when he must begin the long battle with an infatigable enemy, time. <laughs> And with a multifarious enemy, the world. The world will punch at us. The world will poke us. The world will traumatize us. And it's trying to get us to lose our patience. It's trying to get us to be worldly like Esau. To sell our birthright for a pot of stew. Alright, wants our witness to get tarnished. 
Um, so then the young person went out into the world. My listener, whether this discourse seems like an old story that wants to anticipate what you are just about to do, or whether it comes afterwards like an old story about what you left behind long ago. And this is how it is. This is how the young person goes out into the world. I really wish young people would read Kierkegaard. Uh, it might take some work. It might take some help. But, uh, man, this is soul truth. And if you need one thing in this world, philosophy and theology sound so impractical. They sound, it sounds like such a fool's game to be grounded in a philosophical and theological kind of orientation. But it's the most important thing in the world. It's important what we, we, what we put our hands to, but we won't know what to put our hands to until we know what our reason for existence is. Our hands are not going to be appropriately guided. Old story about what you left behind long ago. This is how it is, and this is how the young person goes out into the world. But the next part, yes, it is very different in the single individual, which is a great um, kind of tag that uh, Soren is always using. He's always bringing these uh, writings down to the, the single individual. He doesn't want the applause of the crowd if it means that the crowd doesn't know what he's talking about. He wants, he wants uh, the person to wrestle and to benefit from the writings individually. And the single individual, well, if, this, uh, if the discourse was to address all individuals, then each one might shake his head and say, no, it did not happen that way with me. My experience was very different from what you were talking perhaps about. <laughs> perhaps so. The discourse certainly uh, desires no praise, but would not this emphasis on the different, if it becomes a staring at heterogeneity, have a certain similarity to the wish and impatience, which, at, which once was the ingratiating friend, becomes the ingenious confidant. Try to break with it sometime, and then you will see how this thought becomes violent and vehemently complains about patience as if it wants to make life sheer boredom, wants to make everyone a poor repetition of the same. Um, so Soren's issuing a very serious warning here. Don't be too quick to uh, dismiss his words about patience, thinking it might not apply to us or to you. And yet, if unity does not lie at the base of diversity, similar, similarly, uh, similarity at the basis of dissimilarity, then everything has disintegrated. <laughs> Too much diversity. Um, the Trinity, Trinity exhibits a, a model for creation, which is unity and diversity. And this is, the Greeks struggled with this between the being and becoming ideas. There were different philosophers that were more into the being side and some were into the becoming side. Um, can't stay in, uh, step into the same river twice type of ideas. Aeschylus and Heraclitus and all those guys. Um, so if you go too diverse, everything disintegrates. Uh, so this, uh, this unity and patience uh, tied to purpose is very important. If then uh, no one uh, dares to say a well-intentioned word against the diversity, then, it will, then that will enrich life uh, to the point of disorder. Patience does. So patience is war, uh, warning us about all this diversity. And we could take that into consideration <clears throat> with all this diversity emphasis in our society, which is essentially a good thing. God does make us diverse. He, uh, 
He has made mankind very different in a lot of ways, uh, but also made us very similar. So we always have to keep these two things in mind. Patience does. It has seen the danger and the terror that if every person were capable of essentially effectuating diversity, then life would be disordered, his own life also. It sees very well that the danger is not that life forbids it. So there are red lights and there are green lights. We can't be diverse about certain things. There has to be some certain understandings and certain commonalities. Some person can't say to himself, well, it's a red light and that means go to me. I'm going through it. Now, it could easily be red if everybody agrees it was red. That meant go, but it doesn't. I think red is associated with blood and green is associated with growth. So those are where those colors come from on the stoplight. Uh, so blood warns you that if you don't stop, you might wind up bloody, and I would have been. I, I just wonder how far I would have traveled in the air after being hit by that SUV going at full speed. But that, uh, that the, very well, that the danger is not that life forbids it, but that the danger would, would exist if life permitted it. it. Is then patience yoked with a thin lips sagacity, that thinks life merely grinds down the variegated characters of primitivity. <laughs> There's a lot of words today that are quite challenging. And with the defiance that thinks that only a favor few are capable of asserting diversity. Not at all. Patience speaks very doubtfully about that kind of favored status. Patience wants to preserve only the soul. It has the courage to give up everything else. Yeah, that's cool. We shouldn't sacrifice anything for ourselves. So somebody were to steal a candy bar at a at a grocery store, and they think it's not a big deal. It's only worth what I don't know what candy bars cost these days. Seventy five cents. It used to be ten cents or whatever. Um, not a big deal. They they have just sacrificed their soul, uh, their soul's um, purity, uh, for something so minor. So this idea that you know these white lies and these fibs don't matter because they're not important. Another way of looking at that, would patients would say, <clears throat> you're risking so much for so little. <laughs> if you're going to sin, sin big. You know, going to rob a bank, then do that versus, uh, which is not, I'm not recommending that, of course. Uh, but, you know what I'm saying. If you're going to risk your soul, make it make it at least the payoff better, if that's what you value. I'm not counseling that, but common sense would tell you that. Patience wants to preserve only the soul. It has the courage to give up everything else. And when the soul does not believingly aspire to the eternal, does not hopefully hurry towards the future, is not lovingly in understanding with God and human beings, then the soul is lost. But if, on the contrary, it announces itself in this powerful presence, then the single individual has indeed saved his soul, however diverse the meanings the words may have for different people. <laughs> I don't know if we have time to continue on from there. There's still a long way to go through this book, and hopefully that's not discouraging. Hey, somebody sent me a message on my blog. I do have a blog for Birkegaard. It's uh, Birkegaard Blogspot. Uh, you can find it. Just look on Google or wherever your preferred browser of choice, which for most people is Chrome. Um but the person said they stopped getting feeds of the episodes back in October and wondered if the uh, podcast was still being done. So I appreciate a question like that. Uh, so if there's problems with your platform, let me know. You can go to the blog. I'm trying to put screenshots of Soren's writings if I find something interesting or meaningful. 
I'll just put it up there in other reflections. It's not necessarily always my writing. It's mostly just screenshots. But occasionally I'll write on there too. But I'm on the IG, Instagram, Beercard. I'm also on uh, the X, uh, so you can look me up there. You can also check out the blog. And if I was more... Uh, more, uh, I don't know, determined to build my platform or whatever those words are. I would be pushing all three all the time. But you can uh, contact me through the blog, which is good, and be anonymous about it. Yeah, but I got, you know, some people got back to me about the bitterness thing that it spoke to them, and that's good. I hope that was encouraging. Um, and when I found that word bitterness about some unreconciled issues and some things in the past, it was a good word. It was like a key that opened the door to me to understand that, yeah, that, that's what that is. That, that's an exact word for sometimes how I feel, that I feel this bitterness about things that I felt like people got over on me. But um, I'm asking God to take that bitterness away. I handled it the way that I did. And if it's not, it wasn't the way I was supposed to handle it, there's nothing I could do about it anyway. And uh, so when I when I came across that word bitterness, it was like that that's the word that describes some of the things that I'm struggling with. And then a related issue, as we talked about, is this kind of demeaning language towards people. I'll just mention the story briefly and then I'll finish up here. Um, I was uh, staying at a hotel, a really nice one, actually. Uh, the hotel I stayed at the first three days wasn't quite as nice as the one that my brother had booked close to the airport. It had a really good breakfast. Uh, step up. The breakfast at the other place was decent too, but it wasn't quite as good. The coffee at the second place was even better. It was a rainforest from Central America. And somebody had put their uh, their bagel, I think it was a bagel, yeah, on the on those kind of hotel toasters that take forever. And then the you know, toast comes out and the bagel comes out and the English muffin comes out and it's only slightly warm. And there's like this knob at the bottom that doesn't really seem like it does anything. You know, like you turn it and it's the same thing all over again. So it's very common that people put their uh, toast, their bagels, or English muffins into it. And some just take it the first time once it comes through. Like, okay, that, that is what it is. I'm in a hurry. I'll spread some butter on it, some cream cheese. I'll move on. Uh, I was very determined to keep putting my, uh, my bagels through until they were toasted. <laughs> and sometimes it took three or four times at the two different hotels, but this time it was at the second hotel. And somebody had put a bagel through, and the bagel was had gone through and was sitting in the tray, and other people were trying to get out now their bread or their bagels or their English muffins, and it was starting to pile up. And the person's bagel was starting to be touched, you know, like a dude reached in and tried to grab his toast, and, you know, and then people laying hands on the dude's bagel. And I was like, who the hell would put a bagel in here and just leave it on the bottom of the tray? So I was being demeaning, uh, that's the moral of the story, uh, rather than say, well, maybe the person got distracted, maybe they didn't forget about it, maybe whatever. And it's just a reminder, uh, you know, I did it again. And then the dude came walking up and I said, I'm sure you don't want us touching your stuff because I had these, um, these tongs and I was trying to get to his bagel and put them on a, a plate. I didn't want people touching his stuff, but I wanted the bagels to get out of the way so we could run our things through <laughs> Because there wasn't a lot of room. That tray kind of backed it up. It was like a car jam. And there's two bagels sitting there. Everything else is getting stuck. And uh, he was cool about it. But he didn't hear me say, who the hell would put a bagel into a toaster and leave it there? Um, so I felt bad about that. My brother said something in the elevator to uh, some women that were celebrating an occasion that he felt bad about afterwards. <laughs> 
And it's just funny. We, we say things. My brother wasn't being malicious at all, and that's what made it okay because he wasn't being hard-hearted or mean towards him. He's just trying to be funny. Just didn't quite hit home properly. Um, but we have to be really careful about what we say to people. We have to be really kind to them, and we always have to put the best spin on things and not be so cynical and so jaded that we expect the world's just going to F us all the time. And uh, I guess that's the moral of the story, but I'm being convicted these days about not being demeaning towards people. And it doesn't mean I live in anger all the time or I'm some hostile dude or you know, I got this kind of pit of uh, wrath inside of me that's just looking for an excuse to, uh, to vent itself. I mean, but I just struggle with it occasionally, but I do want to confess it openly because I think I make it more tangible if I talk about it. And that I want to deal with this thing and just to try to be more balanced about it, to try to be wise about the world, but not cynical. And to care about people in the way that Christ cares about them. And uh, so that's a challenge. Uh, so pray for me. Pray for me. But it was a great, it was a great week, a little bit more than a week down in Tampa. Uh, my mom was kind of enjoying the mom thing. She was enjoying kind of taking care of us, which was cool to see. And uh, her boyfriend seems to be a good fit. <laughs> must be somebody for everybody out there because uh, he's really patient and he's not even a Christian, but uh, his, his, uh, his characteristics work well with my mom's as far as I can tell, but Lord knows about tomorrow. Uh, but it was good and uh, glad to be home. Going to go out for a hike with some friends today. So getting back on track and uh, hope everybody else is doing well. Reach out on the Instagram, on the IG, on the X or read the blog and uh, we're working still for this January 21st event with Row House. Some, some interesting, just continue to work on that. And Jeremiah are going to get together to practice the script. He has the hard part. I have the easy part. I'm just the interviewer. I can read off a clipboard. He can't because uh, he's going to be soaring. Soar, uh, patience wants to preserve only the soul. And it has the courage to give up everything else. Ponder that, my friends. Again, I consider you friends, not followers. <laughs>